Do you want to learn how to remote view? Now is your chance. The International Remote Viewing Association is offering eight weeks of remote viewing classes instructed by my friend Michelle Freed. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity starting Saturday, September 3rd, 10 a.m. Pacific. The course is only $150, and for members of the IRVA, it's only $110. Just visit irva.org slash events slash registration to sign up now. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Today, my guest is Jason Hewlett. First, a couple of announcements. If you want to advertise with us, email me, ForbiddenKnowledgeNews at gmail.com. We're doing incredible productions for our affiliates. Our website is ForbiddenKnowledge.News, also the home of the Forbidden Knowledge Network. You'll find some of your favorite podcasts from our community, like Raised by Giants, Understanding Propaganda, Day Zero, and more. Forbidden Knowledge News is always available on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, and all podcast platforms. Rockfin is where you get our premium content. You also get all the premium content from every creator on Rockfin for only $10 a month. Go ahead and create yourself a free account and get access to everyone's free content, including all our regular shows. Just go to rockfin.com slash FKN plus. That's R-O-K-F-I-N dot com slash FKN plus to sign up now. Today, I want to welcome back to the show Jason Hewlett. He's a journalist, broadcaster, and podcaster with a degree in filmmaking and film studies. He's a lifelong interest in the paranormal, which led him to join Vancouver Paranormal Society in 2017, where he was a lead investigator and society director until 2020. When he and a colleague, Peter Wren, launched the Canadian Paranormal Foundation, he is writer, director, and co-creator of the award-winning paranormal reality series We Want to Believe and narrator for the UFO show, both of which are on the Paranormal Network. Jason, welcome back. How you doing? Good, man. Thanks so much for having me back. Good to be here again. Yes, it's great to have you back. I can't wait to get into this. We're going to be discussing your new collaboration called Dying Light, which is different than your previous books. You dive deep into investigating near-death experiences, and I've had quite a few shows about near-death experiences. I even had one again the other day with Dr. Scott Taylor. Um, I've had many experiencers of this on, and my favorite part about the whole discussion is no matter who I've talked to so far— seems that most of these people that have this experience always come back renewed or healed uh, or even having profound knowledge or insights of some kind that they didn't have before. And it usually changes their lives for the better. So this is a fantastic conversation. And like I said, it's a bit different from your other books. What brought you to, uh, to get involved with this one? Well, it was kind of, we were writing our second book, Peter and I, um, which was, you know, I want to believe in investigators archive. And one of the investigators we interviewed was um, Angela Artuso out of New York. And she's been an investigator there for, for a number of years. And while she's sort of telling her story, she got into this near-death experience that she had, which became our uh, Man in Black chapter in the book. And it was so like just different from the near-death experiences I heard about. And it was it was on the one hand quite frightening, but as you you point out, in the end, she came away with a, a much, you know, more broader outlook on life although she was a paranormal investigator so she already had a pretty broad outlook on life um but i was like it, it this wasn't going to fit in the her chapter like it was just too much of a divergent from her story so as soon as we finished the interview i called peter on the phone because we would do we're doing it remotely because it was you know covid and she's in new york and we're out here in western canada and i'm like we got to write a book 
about near-death experiences and include this. And Peter had one himself uh, when he was having his liver transplant. So it was just it just made sense. And it just we 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 you know emailed our publisher, Beyond the Fray Publishing, pitched the idea, they liked it, and we just took off from there. So once we finished um the second book, and it came out at the end of October, like a week later, we started working on this book on Dying Light. And it took us from basically like the end of October right through till kind of April to do the research and the writing and the interviews like that. And it came out in June. So it was a pretty quick turnaround, really. Nice. Now, as far as her story, which is very profound, would you be able to tell us uh, some of the highlights about that one since it's, you know, one of the the ones that led you to actually start the book? For sure. Well, well, I'm sure, as you know, Chris, like most of these are like there's the, the tunnel, you know, the figure um, ending up in a place like this vast, expansive universe. I know Scott talked, we interviewed him for the book as well. So, you know, he talks about the vast universe. Angela's was different because for all intents and purposes, she was conscious during her whole experience. Like her, she was, she worked at a hospital and she was getting a ride to work and her vehicle was T-boned and she was in the passenger seat. So T-boned, knocked across, you know, the lanes of traffic. Um, her body's just a broken mess. Um, her driver was not hurt. So got out of the vehicle to run and get help and, you know, call, call emergency responders. And when she's there, like she knows this is it. Like if she closes her eyes, she's done. And uh, so she's kind of fighting to stay awake. And at one point she literally turned and looked into the driver's seat. And there's a man sitting there dressed all in black, porcelain, white skin, slicked back, black hair, like the blackest hair, you know, you've ever kind of seen. Um, and black eyes, like black eyed children kind of eyes, right? Just completely black. And, it, you know, obviously that startled her. And she'd started talking to this person, but not like telepathically, like most happens in near-death experiences like talking and the person is responding basically just telling her it's okay it's going to be okay just relax it's going to be okay but he's looking straight forward out, out like the front of the wrecked vehicle and this went on for a while well the paramedics and fire department come and basically cut her out of the vehicle load her into the ambulance she's in the ambulance this guy this man in black is riding with her in the ambulance even kind of holding her hand just telling her, you know, it's going to be okay. It's not your time. You're going to, everything's going to be all right. You know, get to the hospital. They, they unload her, they're wheeling her in to do surgery. And she's like, where, where's the man? Where's this, this man that was with me in the, in the ambulance. And they're like, there was no one with you in the ambulance, except the paramedics. It was just you and the paramedics. And so that, that's like so different. I'm sure than the, the stories you've heard as well, but yes. she was basically, if she had closed her eyes, she would have been done. That would have been the end of it right there. So this, whoever this man in black was, was there to kind of keep her going, keep her awake and encouraging her to stay alive. But he wasn't actually there. Right. That makes that, sense. That is very different than most of the near-death experiences that I've had people come on and account. Um, what are some of the other ones that you've done research about for this book that might have some other similarities, not, not necessarily to the men in black, but to each other? Uh, that's one thing that I also notice is there, there may be some subtle similarities, some things that are very similar, but each experience is so unique to each person and so different and so personal, right? Well, yeah, no, and that's like one of the people we interviewed was uh, Lynn Russell, who's a researcher, um, and she's investigated some 2,500 cases of near-death experiences, ranging from people who are down for a few minutes to like, you know, almost like a day, you know, and then cu coming back. Um, and there are similarities, lots of them, but you're right, each one is subjective at the same time. So if you're raised Catholic, the being you see might be like Jesus. Um, if, you know, if you have an affinity for the elderly, you might see elderly people meeting you on the other side, or it could be a relative. And that's one thing we noticed. There was always generally someone there waiting for you. Um, be it, you know, this divine entity, like what, um, uh, Peter Panagor, we had him we interviewed him and he talked about his, and when he went to the other side, it was just this, this divine being that he couldn't really see, but it was like a ball of light. Mm -hmm. Um, Scott Taylor, we had, you know, and he, he, of course had a shared death experience, but he describes basically again, going this vast universal expanse, you know, the, uh, the memory and reconciliation center that a lot of people talk about where they go and they relive their past experiences, both good and bad and experience how they treated other people and feel it firsthand and can almost reconcile things. That was a very common, um, the tunnel, most people describe some kind of tunnel of light, the, the color of light would vary, but there was a tunnel. Um, 
And just the, the big thing that everybody talked about was, was like you mentioned at the top of the show, there was this feeling of love and belonging and oneness and coming back, understanding that the world we live in is not the truth. That's something that we created as a society and that there's more to life than what, what we're living right now. Uh, and that those are the big commonalities to it. Um, and that last bit was sort of the really nice takeaway is that it, there's, you know, there's more to this universe and this life than what we're living. And uh, there's more important things going on than, 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 you know, accumulating wealth and posthumous fame, et cetera. It's all about just being good to each other. Yeah. And so that was great. Uh, yeah, I'd say uh, probably all of the uh, individuals that I've had on my show that have had near-death experiences and most of the researchers that have um, researched thousands and thousands of cases, uh, I think the consensus is that most of them are positive experiences uh, depending on, like you said, a person's upbringing or even the way they live their lives. But I have very rarely heard of these very hellscape like uh, experiences where they're encountering demons and being tortured. I mean, I've heard this like on TV, and that's the only place I've heard uh, anyone talk about this. Have you heard any like horrifying experiences? No, not so much. And I mean, of course, like the TV is always going to give you the darkest, scariest yeah. stuff because that's what sells, right? I mean, Lynn Russell did. I mean, she out of all the people she interviewed, she did come across people who did initially have these terrifying experiences, but though they were people who were quite religious, who, who were brought up to believe in a hell and that they were not worthy mm. of going to heaven. So of course they start having this experience and they're, yeah, they're, they're in this you know pit of fire and they're being tormented by demons, et cetera. But once you kind of realize, wait a minute, like this one person would just start singing, you know, as a way of saving himself, like, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know. And boom, instantly he's up in that tunnel going to that positive place. And other souls would even catch people on the way down for lack of a better word. And tell them, no, man, like you're just you. Hell is your own making you. If you want, if you believe that you're worthy or that life is good, guess what? You're going to go to this positive place. So, again, it's very subjective behind these experiences. I think what some people maybe are describing aren't so much a near death experience, but like an out of body experience or like a sleep paralysis experience, maybe more so, because as we know, sleep paralysis is generally pretty terrifying, no matter what you believe. Yes. So maybe they're mistaking a near-death experience for a sleep paralysis or something going on with their consciousness at a moment of you know being deprived of oxygen, etc. Well, according to uh, many of the people who not only had near-death experiences but uh, practice astral travel, have regular out-of-body experiences, can access these type of different realms through meditative uh, practices. It seems like there's a major connection or maybe, you know, similarity or even it could be part of the same type of realm that you're entering into in these altered states or having out-of-body experiences or astral travel. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, we touch on that a couple of times in the book. I mean, Scott Taylor, once he kind of realized that he had had the shared death experiences, worked on meditation techniques that could change his vibrational frequency and boom, he he was going to this, this place at will. Um, another chapter that we had kind of on past lives and reincarnation, we talked with uh, David Bettenhouse and, and uh, you know Carla Bogney-Kidd, and they, they discovered their past lives through meditation and being able to actually travel to different lives that they've had in different planes. Um, Mary Helen Hensley, uh, she's out of Ireland, but uh, you know, I see you're nodding your head, so you know who I'm talking about here. She can do that too, vibration. And it leads me to believe that whatever existence we're on, it's just you. if you change your vibration, you can go almost anywhere. And I think you know you can slip in and out of this reality. I mean, it sounds crazy, but that you can. I mean, I meditate. I know there's times I wouldn't say I've gone. So I, like, yeah, no, I've gone somewhere. I don't know where. But just somewhere deep, I always think just somewhere almost into a dream state or deep in your subconscious, but you get, you know, getting insights on things and answers to questions that I want. So whatever this is, um, and I think we've talked about this before, that the paranormal is just a natural part of life around us. We just haven't figured it out yet. Whatever yeah. it is, it's all interconnected in some way and uh, we can access it. And we probably did access it a lot more before we kind of became so quote unquote civilized. Do you know what I mean? Like living yes. on the pr planes and relying on it to survive on a day-to-day -day basis, which I mean is a tangent, but. 
And it opens up to, you know, is what we're seeing right now this what we call physical reality? Is this the real reality? Or are we going to wake up and, and it's going to be like we were just dreaming this and this these astral states or these realms are the more uh, what you would call um, real reality to us or our home, you know, some place that we're, we, uh, I know Dr., um, I think it was Dr. Taylor said it feels like he's going home whenever you, mm-hmm. uh, you're going into these lights. So it could just be that this experience is physical experience is not um, what we would consider true reality or our true um, our true being our true essence right well yeah and that's uh, Bettenhausen and Bogney kid talk a lot about that that these are just sort of the uh, and you know and, and Dr. Taylor and Peter Panagor and Mary Helen Hensley this is all just part of a process to get to where we're supposed to go like mm-hmm. if you're living in a place where you're all one and it's all love and you're all connected somehow you don't understand duality and you know, let's face it, duality and all these different emotions are very much a part of the human experience. So we're here on this planet, and I'm just throwing theories out there, and I don't know what I believe yet in terms of that, but this is how we learn to be individuals. This is how we learn how to get along. This is how we learn the importance of life, you know, love, etc. And then the reward is we end up going someplace really, really incredible. And you know, in religion, they call it heaven. But this is just all part of a process. And you even live different lives to correct past mistakes that you've made so you can get it right. You're almost like earning the right to kind of be one with everything and everybody. Um, that's just how, from writing this book, I understand it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I had uh, Dr. Scott Taylor on the other day. Uh, and like you said, his is extremely different than any other experience I've had. Um, I've had experience or I've had on the show of these near death experiences because it wasn't him who was uh, in trauma or dying, but uh, the person that he was in the hospital room with and he witnessed this this light being come in and the light being decided to take him along with uh the other person's uh essence or spirit that that it was taking and it's a very incredible story and he got to experience this whole um you know afterlife experience of seeing the white light and traveling there and feeling this unconditional love uh and i've not yet since heard anyone say that they've been able to kind of have this sheer death experience when they're not in any trauma they're not dying they haven't been in an accident or anything like that they're just near the person who has been yeah and they're they're very rare and i think even scott you know mentioned that like when he sort of realized what had happened to him like he did when it happened to him he had no clue what happened and he didn't even think or talk about it for a number of years. Um, but then he started doing research and he found out that they, they these shared death experiences do happen. They're just exceedingly rare um, and obviously quite profound. Like when he was explaining it to me, I didn't know whether to believe it or not. Like I was, but he was telling it and I'm sure you've heard him tell it so passionately and with so much emotion that you, you, you almost are forced to believe what he's talking about right. and who could make that up? You know what I mean? Like well, I hundred percent believe everyone that I personally have spoken to about yep. their personal near death experiences, they a hundred percent believe their own story, and they uh, will, you know, a hundred percent. That's their reality. That's the truth. You know, whether it's uh, the truth in re- in real life, whether it's like something that we can prove or not, they believe it wholeheartedly. And to me, that is one of the most important aspects of hearing these stories. Well, I, I agree. And I mean, even with any kind of paranormal encounter, be it like with a, yes. within a haunting yes. or UFO or or Bigfoot or, or Loch Ness Monster, any of them, the people who have it happen, they know what happened to them. And, and I know this too, right? And it becomes pointless to try to convince anyone else. You just sort of tell your story. You know what happened to you um, and, and you believe it. And I think that's just, that's a big part of the whole, it's part of the problem why science hasn't started embracing all this kind of research because so much of it is more of a personal anecdote than anything else. But if you've had it happen to you, you know what happened to you. And that creates a desire to learn more. And that's where you start building up your, your case studies and your, your research and your, your, for lack of a better word, evidence. So yeah, Scott's story is amazing. Um, and what cemented it is that like, you know, when I spoke with Peter Panagor and Mary Helen Hensley, there's very much corroborated many of the things that he talked about. So Scott's just one of those rare people that had this shared death experience. Um, and I mean, it was, and what a, you know, I mean, it makes sense given, you know, the circumstances around it, having lost his, you know, his girlfriend, um, and then her son dying just a few days later, cause they were both in the same accident. And the fact that it was his girlfriend coming to get the son Nolan 
right? Just made it even more so. And, you know, he's in this room surrounded by all these grieving family members. And I remember him saying like, he's, he's crying and he's smiling and he has to cover his face because he didn't want people to mistake what was yeah, happening, but yeah. he's having this event of pure love and joy at the same time as like one of the worst moments in his life. Um, it's a hell of a, an experience that he describes. And I mean, obviously it changed him forever. Yeah. And I think one of the most beautiful parts about not only his, but a few others that I've heard is that you can do this without nearly dying. You can access these realms through um, binaural beats, through meditation, uh, taking classes from the Monroe Institute. It's basically just having an out-of-body experience. And from what I hear, you can meet loved ones. You can meet your ancestors. You can meet people who have passed over the other side and have profound journeys into these uh, heavenly realms. Oh, big time. You know, and you can, you can, you know, you know, a lot of people believe, and I, I've become one of them. I used to think it was the corniest idea imaginable when I was far more cynical, but we have our guides. We have these angels and guides that are here to help us along the way. And you can get insights from them too. Like I will sit down to meditate. It's more like lying on the floor and I kind of work myself in this trance. If I have a question, I put it out there to the universe and I do get an answer and it does work in my favor doing it. Um, you know, and I've, I've you know, communicated with people that have passed away too myself. So it, it's possible. It is completely possible, but it's a matter of training your mind to do this. And you're right. You do not have to die, but I think so many people are locked into this, this world and their life and this reality that it takes something traumatic to kind of put them in a position where they can experience that. Um, and I, I believe the, the people that have these experiences, they're having it for a reason, each of to each individual reason, but they're having it for a reason. Yeah. Hundred uh, percent. Something else that not only Dr. Scott talked about, a few others, Dr. Bruce Goldberg, I think Preston Dennett came on and spoke about this. During some of these astral travels, you have the ability to rescue what they call lost souls or people who souls who are trapped in these astral realms through whatever kind of horrific death that they have, or they don't know that they're dead, or they just need assistance getting to the light. You, in astral form, if you're practicing these techniques, can actually uh, assist them to the light. Have you heard of this? Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, that's something that a lot of the people I, I interviewed for the book talked about. You know, they, like soul rescuers, I think yeah. they're called or something like that. No, those are the ones, like I mentioned, that Lynn Russell was talking about, where the person is falling into this hell and this other soul is like, no, man, like, <laughs> you know, you don't have to go there. You just don't believe you're worthy of going, but everybody's worthy of going to this other place. And they pull you in. And, they, and I guess once you get through the tunnel to the other side, there's some healing that's done as a means of curing whatever ailment or, or, or stress or belief system is keeping them trapped to earth. And I'm convinced these are what we encounter as paranormal investigators exploring, exploring hauntings and haunted locations is that these are those souls yet. They just haven't figured out it's okay. Mm. You can move on or, or who believe they have a reason to stick around. Right. Hey, that would make a lot of sense. Um, it would. You mentioned that uh, there's an aspect of many people coming back with profound healings uh, are having some kind of awful disease when they die and when they come back it's gone um, I don't I think it was was it Mary Helen Hensley who had uh, cancer or was that Rosemary Ringer I think it was Rosemary Ringer who it, had it was probably Rosemary yeah, yeah Mary, Rosemary Mary Helen Ringer. though came back with the ability she her experience was just to kick her in the ass so that she could yeah, realize okay. that she could go help people heal their ailments vibrationally right like, yes right well yeah, it was, which to me is just like wow and, and it makes sense because there's a lot of especially in psychology now, evidence to back up that a lot of aches and pains we feel are more related to emotional trauma than any physical ailment. It's all just emotion and learning how to deal with those emotions will actually cure that pain. Yes. And it was Rosemary Ringer who it, she had lost her husband uh, due to, you know, suicide and she was had cancer and she was about to die and she actually did die and when she came back after the near-death experience of you know meeting these angelic beings and you know having this loving feeling and all these profound things all of her cancer and every ailment she had was gone when she came they would the doctors were baffled they couldn't find a trace of anything so this is one of those other cases that are very telling when it comes to the healing of properties that could be available when you're accessing these realms. Yeah. And it's, again, it's all vibrational, right? Like it's all just sort of training your brain to kind of go somewhere else or to harness these energies that are around us to heal. I mean, an Eastern philosophy and medicine is way ahead of our Western medicine in terms of understanding that 
like in Western medicine and Western science, it's physical. It's all just physical. But in Eastern philosophy and medicine, the body is composed of like, you know, a, a physical component for sure, plus, plus a spiritual component and a mental component. And in order for your body to be perfectly healed, you kind of got to have all three in balance. Whereas over here, we just focus on the physical and, you know, we separate, you know, into psychology to deal with the mental and then religion or, or, you know, other philosophy to deal with the spiritual, but it's all actually interconnected in some way. And I think that's something we need to focus on more. And these people who are having these experiences are kind of understanding there is more than just the physical. It's all, we're, we're multifaceted beings and we need to take care of ourselves on a variety of different levels. Yes. And um, the more we learn about our medical system and, and pharmaceuticals, uh, the less we will actually have to be reliant on systems like that because we, our bodies and our, our own uh, spirit and energy has profound abilities to heal ourselves. And I think we're just kind of starting to rediscover some of this stuff through, you know, frequency healing, sound healing, all the wonderful independent researchers that are coming out and saying, oh, these pharmaceuticals are just killing people or keeping you sick all you need is these uh this natural technique sunlight good food healthy food real food and taking care of your body and there's other you know spiritual practices that can help as well that i think is we're kind of heading into these times where people are starting to realize this oh i think so too i think the last two years have really you know shown that right people have started the spirituality has gone up since the COVID-19 pandemic hit, people are figuring out there's a lot more to, because we, we had a, we were able to stop for a while, mm-hmm. right? Especially, you know, in certain, in, up here in Canada, like everything just shut down. So we were able just to stop, pause, start listening to ourselves. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and feeling things and realizing, holy cow, there's a lot more going on here. And the life that's out there, it's nice to be quiet down. Once you quiet down, you kind of start figuring things out. You're reading more, you're, you're studying more, you're paying attention to your own body more, and you're going out and hiking more and seeing the benefits of that. And yeah, like eating better. Um, basically you, if you eat right, exercise regularly and take care of yourself sort of mentally and even spiritually through meditation or whatever, you're well on the way. And I know people who haven't been sick in a few years now mm-hmm. because they just take really good care of themselves. They stopped eating junk food. They weren't stressed out every day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm one of those so people. Much. Your mental health. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if your mental health's in good check. You're generally pretty good. <laughs> you don't get too sick or too hurt off all that often. Right. Yeah. What can we do to fight back against big pharma and the compromised medical industry? We can become healthy and break free from the perpetual cycle of being poisoned by criminal organizations like most pharmaceutical companies. Come check out what may be the most powerful antioxidant known to man, C60 Purple Power. The benefits of C60 have been personally outstanding. I use it every day and I feel incredible. I have tons of energy, I sleep great, and I haven't even come down with a cold since I started using C60 over two years ago. You can even get C60 for your pets. Do your own research, click the link in the description, and check out their website. If you order from that link or use coupon code KNOWLEDGE10, you get 10% off your order plus free shipping. What is your health worth to you? I know. Yeah, well, I'm excited about the times we're living in just because of the amount of people that are just awakening and having this new spark of interest into all kinds of things like spirituality and paranormal. Um, I think that we're headed towards a big change because more people than ever are questioning the narrative and actually becoming more interested in things of high strangeness, I find too, right? Oh, big time. Um, what was it like over the course of, you know, from in 2020, UFO sightings and reports of hauntings yeah. and paranormal activity increased exponentially, like quite a bit. It was, I don't know if it was quite 50%, but it went up a lot. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's just because people were, were starting to pay attention more, right? And question more. Um, you know, I, I, this is a totally different topic. Like, I have no doubt that the, the COVID-19 was a virus that got out there and it got out of control. Um, but I think that a lot of people just sort of mismanaged it all. And it's almost like you say, like the pharmaceutical company saw a way to make, I think a lot of people made money out of this thing and as a way to try to keep that narrative going is kind of what I'm leaning towards now, you know, especially now that it's winding down, you kind of look back. I think this could have been solved. It could have been solved a lot quicker. And I think a lot of people are very jaded now. Like the media has just been keeping it going. 
mm-hmm. you're kind of wondering, like they're saying it here in Canada, you need to get a fourth or fifth or yeah. sixth booster this fall. <laughs> why? <laughs> it's now a cult. Like why? You know what I mean? But you look at the people who are delivering that message. They invest in like, you know, big pharma. They make money. Off, you know, it just, you just start to really, you realize what a crock of shit, pardon my terminology, well, yeah, that we've right. been fed for a very long time. And I used to be in mainstream media. I was a journalist, a crime journalist. I have no respect now for mainstream media because it's how it's acting it's just not about the truth anymore or two sides of the story it's just about selling fear and getting people to buy more and be scared and that's just my little side rant i apologize. oh 100 man that's you're absolutely right but that is a different show i want to go back to uh near-death experiences to the life review aspect um this is something that uh hasn't happened Across the board with uh, experiencers that I've talked to, but with quite a few, they've had some sort of uh, what you would resemble uh, a life review where the, this entity kind of shows them what's happening in their life. It's not like this kind of guilt trip thing where they're supposed to feel bad. It's just kind of showing them what happened. Uh, is this something that's pretty common that you've come across as well? It's, I came across it enough times to 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 believe that it's something that does happen. Maybe not to, for everybody, but for for a large number of people who are experiencers. And yeah, you, you described exactly it. And sometimes it's just you're mentally put in this place, and and other people describe it as like almost like in those rooms with like a bazillion monitors, and you're sort of experiencing all these different life moments all at once, both good and bad. And what people talk about is that. They, when they were in a grocery lineup, and I think Scott Taylor mentions this, in a grocery lineup, and they're a jerk to the clerk, they experience how that clerk felt, right? So yeah, they can yeah. see how you learn how your behavior affects other people and makes them feel. And in some cases, you're actually able to go back and correct that. Um, that was like a lesser number, but you can go back and correct those those mistakes that you made, uh, which maybe yeah. can account for feelings of deja vu, right? I think I've done this before. You know what I mean? Um, but you definitely come out of it deciding whether you pass or fail i know peter panagor says nope he failed <laughs> like in the way that he treated a lot of people he would yeah. just fail completely but when he came back to life he realized he had to treat people better um and i think that's really fascinating and i i, I think that's amazing like what an opportunity we can have to see how we really do impact people's lives in both a positive and negative way and that's part of the whole point is to realize how connected we are and how we behave and act affects other people around us um, so that's a really big takeaway. And sometimes, again, you just need that slap in the face to say, no, wake up. Like you're being a jerk and you got to stop acting this way. Now, this is really interesting. Um, not only did Dr. Scott Taylor talk about this, that he's actually looking into this and he knows somebody who's been able to do this, which is jumping dimensions or jumping timelines to where you're living on a certain trajectory and you're living a certain life. You have certain people in your life, certain events. But for some reason, you're able to step out into these realms and into a different reality that's similar to yours occurring at the same time, because apparently it's all the realities are occurring at the same time if we're in a multiverse. But some people have the uh, the ability to jump timelines into a different type of reality. And he's looking into this. He knows a woman that's done that. I've talked to Dr. Bruce Goldberg, who has claimed to actually been able to do this through an out-of-body experience. Um, Lindsay Sharman had an experience where she was taken out of her body above the planet and seen millions of little options of tornadoes to go into someone else's timeline. Or It's her, but it's a different version of her. Uh, this is incredible. What are your thoughts about that? Well, it's interesting because Peter Panagor talked about that when he died, mm-hmm. went to the other side, and he decided, no, I don't want to pass on. And uh, the divine entity basically, he says, I want to go back to my life. And the divine entity just responded with, well, you're not going back to your life and flicked him. That's how he describes it. He suddenly is going down this tunnel. There's all these different offshoots that he could choose. And he just sort of picked the one that he felt was the closest. So he doesn't even know if he went back to the life he was supposed to have been in before. And I know personally that I've never had a near-death experience, but I had one of those experiences like that, where I remember I was at home in my house here. You know, I, I was reading or something in front of the fire and it was time to go to bed. So I went upstairs, it was November. So I went outside cause I was warm from, you know, being inside by the, in front of the fire. And I went outside and it was cold cause it's November in Canada. And I kind of just was out for a minute or two to cool down. And I remember taking my contacts out and brushing my teeth and getting into my pajamas and just being like, I, something feels wrong. Like I just did not feel good at all. And I, I, something was mentally just not firing right. And I went and I got into bed and literally 
I didn't even fall asleep, but I had the, this voice started talking to me and this like weird tunnel opened up with these other passageways. And it's like, you can go wherever you want. You know, you can go to a reality where your father didn't die when you were 19. You can go to a reality where you, you married someone else. All this is not, it's just your choice. I remember being absolutely terrified and be like, no, no, no. I like my, this is great. I'm, I'm okay here. Everything's fine. I don't want to go anywhere. And I'm reaching out. I'm, I guess I'm starting to cry. My wife, I woke my wife up because she went to bed like an hour before me. And she's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she touched me and she's like, you're freezing. You feel like you've been outside for hours. Wow. And I just basically remember holding her and having her hold me and just like, I'm just losing it. Like what's going on? But it, I've never forgotten that. It was almost like for whatever reason, I, that opportunity opened up for, I don't, for, I'm not sure why, but it was something I think at that point, you know, it was like about a month after, uh, you know, my mother had passed away. It was right before my son's birthday. So I had a lot going on in my head, questioning the work I was doing and all that. It was almost like, this was just like, you can choose, you know what I mean? Like, you don't have to just keep on this path you're going. So I didn't go somewhere else, but I felt, I feel like I was given the opportunity to, and I was like, no, I want to stay here. Wow. <laughs> And then yeah. since that, I, you know, I left the nine to five and I started doing all this work I'm doing now. Right. So maybe you did, you know, yeah, I mean, you who knows? Maybe, and maybe there's this other Jason Hewlett that kept doing like social work at that yeah. point. I don't know. You know, like you split off. That's crazy, man. And that kind of opens it up to what is the reality of reincarnation? How does that work? If we're all occurring at the same time in these infinite realities, are we reincarnated at the same time into these in one of these realities? I don't know. That's a good question. Well, and that's something like, you know, that Bettenhausen and Bogny Kid talk about, like, you know, they mm. could remember meeting previously in like the, in the mobster era of Chicago, right? They, I think they've yeah. lived 16 yeah. lives together and just keep, you know, switching back and forth in different roles. And I'm convinced of that. Cause I know I've met people where it's like, I've met you before. Like it's the first time meeting them. It's like, we know you and you click like right away. Uh, it's like, we, I've know you from somewhere before. And, you know, I've been given insights into these past lives too, which, so it's just like, yeah. And I think, they all exist at the same time. And I think that makes it real easy maybe to slip in certain areas between them, you know, and Paul Dano, who's a paranormal investigator talks about going to places where you can hear quote unquote, the past happening in the present. But I think it's just a, he believes that it's a part in the multiverse where the veil's really thin and you're just picking up on something that happened. It's happening right now, but it's that reality is in like the 1800s as opposed to the current timeline. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's all really possible. And I think these places where people go during NDEs are, are like the between lives. That's just kind of where you go before you go jump into the next one. And then you eventually finish your trip and correct all your mistakes. And then you go, you, you become one with yeah. reality, basically, or the universe. I sometimes I've had the thought that, you know, it's possible that this is all some sort of massive, highly sophisticated uh, simulation that we're in. Um, and that every once in a while, this AI that controls everything will manifest itself like as some sort of paranormal activity or even maybe uh, intervene as, as a, a natural disaster or something to, to set humanity on the right way. Uh, but there has been a lot of guests that uh, have speculated that, you know, our reality is somewhat of like this holographic reality that uh, maybe digital simulation of, of some sort that we might have even created it for ourselves for experience for learning what are your thoughts on that you know like it's if you were to ask me that about two years ago i'd say that's completely nuts but <laughs> now i just don't know you just don't know right i i think i i can't quite adapt to that yet i i like but in a way like why not or maybe it's aliens you know that that did this and it's uh, who knows it, it definitely once you start realizing, though, how you can manipulate things, like it makes you wonder if the people who wrote The Matrix were on that path when they were thinking about writing that movie or that trilogy, or now it's four of them. You know what I mean? Because that's very much yeah. playing around with that a lot, that whole idea. And you can, you know, Peter Panagor even talks about now he can kind of see the code in things, right? How it's supposed mm -hmm. to be. Um, so, I, I mean, it could be. I mean, I think I think in the end, what, what I'm beginning to realize and, and believe is that anything is really possible. No, it's I don't just, know what. You know, um, how far do you want to go? You know, yeah. like in, in opening your mind. No, I don't know how you feel about psychedelics. Um, I've had plenty of experiences with psychedelics. Um, I've actually had, you know, um, vision quests intentionally to explore different realms with psychedelics. I've had much success. I've been able to meet my spirit guides. Um, but, you know, the first time I've ever uh, came in contact with my spirit guides was through meditation. And then it was 
pretty profound through those meditative experiences. My communication with my spirit guides told me I can explore this much easier with uh, the use of psychedelics, which I started using uh, psilocybin, integrating it into my spiritual meditative practices. And yes, I was able to contact not only my spirit guides and ancestors, but other types of entities that, you know, I wouldn't consider necessarily human, but they all had very loving, very profound information to give me during those experiences. Um, Do you think psychedelics is also a doorway to these different realms? I think, like, because I, 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 the only ones I've done is I've done marijuana because it's legal up here in Canada, right? So I, I yeah. will smoke that from time. I, I don't do it when, before going on an investigation or anything like right, that. Right. That'd just be dumb, you know? Yeah. But, you know, just to kind of unwind or if I just yeah. kind of want to chill out for oh, a while. Same here in Colorado. It's legal. So yeah, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. But um, I, I think, I don't think it's a doorway. I think it just loosens your mind enough that you're, you're willing to tap into that frequency because it, it lets mm. be realistic here to kind of let go. Is, is hard, right? Even if you know it, to, just to let go and give yourself, because you don't know what's going to, I mean, I especially think of that experience I told you about, like, I don't want to end back in that place and suddenly slip somewhere else by accident. Right. Um, but I think it does loosen your brain enough, but you can do that through breathing exercises too. Yes. Right. And that can put you into that. Like I, I spoke with um, grandparents that I didn't even know I had by just breathing and it just opened me up to that kind of experience. Uh, so yeah, I think it's, I think all psychedelics do. And I know people who use them, people who are even religious people who use them to kind of communicate more with God or, or, or what have you. Um, I think it's becoming more accepted. I think it's, there's less of a taboo attached to it, that it's like this evil thing. It's just a way of just altering your, your consciousness enough that you can open yourself up to these different vibrational frequencies. Yes, uh, it, it's very interesting, and they've done studies as well that show that your brain is actually producing less activity that's that's um, stemming from the brain itself, and it's kind of shutting down, and wherever you're getting these profound images and information seems to be coming from somewhere else and not originating from your brain. No, and I think our, you need people use psychedelics or, or breathing techniques because it's so hard to our brains are loud and noisy and we've got this internal chatter so it's learning how to yeah. turn that off and just yes leave yourself open right and a lot of people don't want to do that they spend time with themselves they don't even like being in a room alone with themselves they got to be occupied with something <laughs> bones or t- whatever but I, you know you go into the woods sit quietly by yourself and just you know calm your mind you get amazing insights into things and you can pick up on stuff well, that's it's one of the keys the for me, at least for meditation, is I cannot use my brain. I have to shut it off as much as possible and try and focus on how I feel and my feelings and breathing and things like that and just shut off my mind as much as possible or, you know, I won't go anywhere. No, exactly. And I, I struggle with meditation for years, especially when I was a journalist, like on the crime beat. There's so much stuff going on in my head all the time and stress and dealing with deadlines. I couldn't do it. So it's when I finally was able to you know, towards the end of that career, just sort of just say, no, I need to just turn off and I'd have to like put music on and focus on the music. And once I started focusing on the music, I could quiet my brain enough to kind of start tapping into things. And at first it was pretty scary because there wasn't nice stuff that I was tapping into, but you know, as time went on, you get better at it. Do you think that um, mainstream science and maybe even medical industry uh, has a chance of changing their perception on near-death experiences and maybe even putting some type of scientific research into it. Um, I don't have any hopes of that, but what do you think? I think it's tough. I, I, it's like anything when you get a group of people together, right? <laughs> you, know, you get like-minded people. They don't want to change, especially, I mean, it's different in the States because, you know, you got to pay for for your medical, you know, and, and you know, visits. So whereas up in Canada, it's just a free service. So I think as long as it's it's about making money, that's not going to happen because they're just going to go with whatever makes the bucks. I, yeah, I hate oh, to yeah. say it. Um, I think there are people in the like one of the people we interviewed in the book, Lawrence Ward. He wasn't so much a he was a neuroscientist. He doesn't believe in near death experiences, but he's a very spiritual person and he's had out of body experiences, what he could call spiritual out of body experiences. He just believes that when the conscious when we're dead, the consciousness that's it. But what I, his message was that it just just use that to appreciate the life you have a heck of a lot more and be a better person. Like it was the same message, just without with a different outcome, and that you don't come back. You, but you know, use it to have the best life you can and treat people right and open yourself up to as much experiences in life as you can. So, I think that that in a way maybe gives me hope that if enough evidence is brought forward in some way, that sooner or later, probably not in our lifetimes, Chris, but sooner or later, someone's gonna 
in the in, in the mainstream science is going to latch on to it. Yeah, I mean, it's we're at a shifting point. I mean, a lot of um, the old systems have no choice but to either change or crumble right before our eyes. Uh, and I'm very encouraged by what people in independent communities are doing by starting their own systems, starting their own farms, starting their own forms of entertainment, businesses, music, so that when these old unsustainable systems do crumble, which they will because we see it happening right now, people are, are pretty much done with the old ways and they're, they're starting their new shit, which is very encouraging because I know plenty of people who've now, just in the past two years, started their own businesses, starting their own like music industry, all this you know television, uh, podcast, entertainment, and it's not connected to this centralized uh, evil machine that's been running everything, you know, so that's very encouraging. Well, we even see that in the entertainment industry in the last few years, yes. like they stopped yeah. the theater system just didn't work. So you had to figure out other ways to get your entertainment on. That's why you see more like the new Predator movie went straight to streaming instead. And it was a big hit. Mm-hmm. People don't care where they go, go to watch this stuff as long as they can watch it. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that, that's well, changing. That, that I, I and, and as long as it's real entertainment, because what Hollywood is starting to do lately is uh, provide not entertainment, but what the agendas that they want to get across and propaganda instead of trying to entertain the people and even make money off. They don't even care about making money anymore. They just care about the agendas and portraying whatever kind of propaganda that uh, or, or, or media um, BS that they're trying to push at the time, you know. Well, which is interesting. I mean, it, it, this is a bit of a different debate too. But I, I like I look at the uh, people are smart enough. To, like if, have you watched the Terminal List? No, yeah, I have not. the series on Amazon. No, based on a really good book. It's just an action story, but the mainstream critics hated it. Like they trashed it, saying it promoted terrorism and blah blah blah, and it got like thirty percent score on Rotten Tomatoes. But the audience score is like ninety five percent. So people that watch it, and I think people are just smart enough to they're, they're starting to see that that fact now that a lot of what's coming out is just to, to push an agenda. I mean, they all, of course they want to make money, but yeah. they, they address it, these messages up within this entertainment kind of thing. So and it's something that I think people are getting or waking up to that too. Yeah. And that's what I'm, I'm encouraged about is the changes that I see going on from us, from people who want to just make our own systems and not be reliant on daddy government or Hollywood or, or someone else to just be, keep providing regurgitated crap that no one's interested <laughs> anymore. You know, I, I know like the 18th remake of some, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's encouraging to me for sure. Now uh, for the last uh, half of the show, I want to talk about the connections with um, not only these realms and near-death experiences and out-of-body realms, but what people experience during ET abductions or contact experiences with these other types of beings that sometimes have uh, carries over into the physical world, like uh, implants and things of this nature, but they seem to have a profound connection to these other realms where these beings have somewhat uh, instant access to, right? Well, yeah, and I, that's something that came up a bit. Like, I mean, we're we're even contemplating writing a second Dying Light because we we just touched on the alien stuff, you know, and we could do a lot more, and we could focus more on those negative experiences. Well, just to come, give it well, create a well-rounded study. But I mean, these abduction experiences, in some ways, are so similar to like the out-of-body slash near-death experience that it makes you wonder if they're somehow because there's there's you know. You kind of you, you feel like you're going someplace else. You're really leaving your body. There's quite often, even in the abduction experiences, like bright lights that play into it, and these other beings that come forward. So I think there's a similarity in that sense. Um, and then, of course, people when they're they're on these spaceships or wherever they're on, they're talking about they they see Sasquatch on on a spaceship. You know what I mean? Which why would Sasquatch be on a spaceship? But they see them. So it, it it does beg to question is that all kind of the same phenomenon too it's just you we perceive them in different ways right well let me i don't know if i've told you my uh experience through meditation and this was my one of my first contact type experiences ever uh i was going through a rough time uh started to meditate to try and get through it and i i was horrible at it before i couldn't even get to like any type of vibratory state i couldn't get relaxed enough to to kind of enter these peaceful states of mind to that you get into during deep meditation but i i was you know practicing i put on some some tones to help me do this and i achieved this beautiful state of meditation where that i've never been before it was like um beautiful state of blackness and eventually 
something approached me in my subconscious, and it was this beautiful blue light that was accompanied by this uh, profound feeling of love and acceptance and just blasting these feelings to me while it was having this conversation psychically with me about my life, my projection, where I need to go, what I need to do, childhood traumas that I need to take care of, just all these major um, profound things that are going on in my subconscious that are like coming out right now to help me uh, go where I need to go in my life. And this at this time, the, the show was just a part-time thing. I had a full-time corporate job that I did not like. And, you know, these, the, this, this being, which I now know is one of my spirit guides was kind of giving me the kick in the ass I needed and the information I needed to project myself, you know, to eventually quit that job and do this full time, which I'm doing now. And I owe everything to this guy and the, uh, eventual other spirit guides that I met after him. Uh, but this was something that was, uh, so profound. The second time I came into contact through meditation with this being, it introduced me to other spirit guides, which appeared to be on a massive ship. I could see outside the windows, which looked like space. These beings appeared to be in a craft speaking with me, and they were little etheric beings that looked like animal-human hybrid beings. And this was pretty incredible, and then they seemed pretty, you know, what you would consider like a Star Wars extraterrestrial looking, except they were kind of etheric and, and see-through in these astral type of uh, bodies that they were appearing in. But I was definitely appeared to be a massive spaceship or something that uh, that were all coming together in this astral realm to, to speak on, which I found pretty incredible. That's that's wild. Um, but I, I know it's funny, like Sean Knippelberg, who's the the um, he scores that we want to believe episodes. He and I get into these big conversations about stuff and he always says he's not a believer, but he always comes back to aliens. You know what I mean? For stuff like he just says, it just Jay, it just makes sense. And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, you always talk about heaven above, you know, and God, you know, angels, you know, coming down out of the sky, you know, the, I think we talked about this the last time the Egyptians talked about chariots of the gods flying around during the Victorian times. We saw airship dirigibles that that's what they, they claim these unidentified airship dirigibles flying around. So, you know what, like, I mean, that to me, you know, and the big thing, um, Aboriginal people always talk about the star people from various different tribes, different cultures. It all comes back to star people and that they are our ancestors. So why not? You know what I mean? Why why wouldn't these beings be from from outer space or a different dimension of it passing through the like in air spacecraft, basically? Mm -hmm. Um and that would make sense. I, I think you know what you're describing makes perfect sense. And they're just communicating with us in a different way. Right. Like I'm open minded enough to be like, yeah, that 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 could be the the thing behind all of this. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's crossed my mind, whether it's what we consider extraterrestrials or just spiritual beings, or maybe it's all part of us. It's all part of our thought forms. It's all part of our subconscious is split into different types of entities that maybe are easier for us to understand or, or uh, relate to whenever they appear to us, you know? Well, John Keel talked a lot about that. You know, he called it like the ultra terrestrials and the yeah. ultraverse that exists with us. And they just, present themselves in a way that we can get it, which is why they change as time goes on. Right. And I think he was, I think he was onto something. And I think that ultra verse could be the multiverse. You know what I mean? I'm becoming a big believer in multiverse theory is the one of the explanations behind all of this. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, and these near death experiences are the places between multiverse verses and you can go on to different ones. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's, I think in some way it's all part of one big story. It's just, what is it in the end? Right. And, you know, the, the, the saying, the kingdom of heaven is within, you look at ancient sites that have this doorway with ears on each side saying, you know, basically telling you that the way to these, these realms, the way to the kingdom is heaven is inside you. It's all inside you. And I think that that's uh, something that we should start as researchers and people who are interested in the UFO phenomenon and things like that should start going more towards the consciousness route. And I think that if more people started looking at that instead of searching in the skies for little tin cans flying around, that we might get a little bit further if we started more looking at the spiritual consciousness side of ET. But that's just my my thought on it. Well, no, and it, it makes sense. It's like, and that's one of the takeaways from all this near-death experience research. It's all subjective. It's all still part of who we are. We determine that experience just as we determine this experience we have on in this life right now. 
Yeah. If you're if you're generally, and I don't know if you've gone through this, but I went through a huge period of cynicism and being kind of just a real asshole and oh, yeah. very dark and negative. My world was pretty bleak for a very long time until I woke up a bit and started changing that narrative in my head. Like we right. create the story and we can change the story and that will then change our experience. Yes, 100%, man. Uh, another uh, kind of super high strange aspect that there are things surrounding us all times, everywhere we look. I had a guest, uh, Nick Hayes, on a couple of years ago. I'm going to have to have him back on because he presented the most profound pictures I've ever seen. He's a photographer, professional photographer. He knows how to switch out filters to where he can see in different uh, in different uh, spectrums, uh, infrared or... or um, there's another one, ultraviolet, these different spectrums that he kind of could tinker with and he'd take pictures of the sky and what he would come up with is incredible. They would have things like amoebas, things that look like whales, giant fish, um, creatures in the sky that were just kind of flying along, these massive, look like plasma creatures, but they were unmistakable that they were some sort of life form there that we can't see with our vision but he was picking up with these different lenses which also is pretty pretty crazy well we play around a lot with lenses during our investigations and we've gotten pictures using like ultraviolet you know what i mean like the different mm -hmm. lenses and light spectrums as well so i think light plays in a lot i think there is stuff around all the time there's probably what we would consider a ghost in the room with me right now or with yourself right or other beings and they just, they determine when they want to kind of make themselves known, but we can even feel when they're around. So yeah, I, I believe it. You light frequency will light plays a lot. It's just the same with the, using the, the vibrational frequency. I think it's just changing that mode of perception opens things up a lot. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm excited about the times we're living in. I think we're, um, we're going to keep facing some major changes. We'll probably go through some rough times in society, but I think overall we're going to come out better with a better understanding of who and what we are as humanity. Do you have, uh, are you hopeful about our future here? Yeah, I am. Like, I, I think you're right. Like at any, in any time of great change, there's turmoil. And I think we've started to see that. Right. And then what happens is the two camps that like to hold on to their their little fuzzy reality, like the, the right and the left is what's bantered around a lot right now. They start holding on harder, so it creates a big pendulum sway back and forth. But then there's always that middle ground that comes out in the end. And I think I think we're going to start seeing that. And I think it's begun. Um, I'm, I really hope things don't get too crappy because I have a almost 11-year-old and I prefer him not to grow up in too, much, too many tumultuous times. But right. that's out of my realm of control. But I think we're going to get there. And I think, it, yeah, I think we will evolve into better people it just always takes a lot of work and a lot of change and a lot of people needing to let go of what they want life to be because it's not about what we want it's just about how it's going to go right on man uh well jason you have anything else that you're working on right now that you'd like to discuss before we close out um we're supposed to be starting work on a fourth book peter and i that we have to have out uh, early next year and it's a book on residential haunting specifically because there's just a different methodology and approach to working in someone's home who's experiencing activity as opposed to a commercial building or historic site. So the book's going to be all about that. We're going to get into how we do it, how it's different, and then present a bunch of case studies about our experiences in, in working in these people's homes. Um, there's some pretty wild stuff there. That's where we've had some of the, for lack of a better word, best luck in terms of putting evidence together because it's just it's a different experience. It's much more intimate. And there's usually a lot more personal things at stake with these hauntings. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were working on that as well as just continuing on with our web series. We want to believe in hunting the haunted and just being investigators. Now that we can get out a lot easier, like we're getting a lot busier. So I was just about to ask you, you're still doing like regular investigations into places? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we just, we, yeah, we're always got, we got something going on a few times a month now, which is great. And we were able to travel more too to different towns in the interior of where we lived and investigate there as opposed to being stuck within a few block radius you ever so plan on taking any trips to the states to do any investigate oh yeah that's that's on our our goal now that like things are open and it's getting easier to fly like peter and i are working on some different places we would like to go now it just comes down to that good old solid cash to get there yeah right but we, yeah, I, I have a few trips to the states planned uh next year so Awesome, man. Well, this was fantastic. Uh, before you go, let the audience know where they can find the book, your website, social media, YouTube, all the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, the book, Dying Light, an investigation in near-death experiences is currently out on Amazon, as well as our other two books. I want to believe an investigator's archive, and I want to believe one man's journey into the paranormal. Uh, you can find our YouTube projects 
up on the Paranormal Network on YouTube. And then we have, of course, our Facebook page, which is the Canadian Paranormal Foundation. And plus, we want to believe the series. And you can find us on Instagram at the same. Right on, man. Well, this was fantastic. I love it. And we'll definitely be talking again in the future for sure. Sounds good, my friend. I look forward to it already. Yes, sir. Until next time, everyone, have an excellent evening. We'll talk again tomorrow. See y'all then. Right now is the most critical time for us to take back control of our food supply and become self-reliant by having our very own food forest. Transform your yard into a food forest and create a system of self-reliance that's easy and enjoyable with our friends at Food Forest Abundance. No matter where you're starting from, you can become more self-reliant. You can take your self-reliance to the next level by becoming a producer of your own food through growing and foraging. Learn how to turn your property into an income-producing source of economic self-reliance. If you're ready to go off-grid, click the link in the description and use coupon code FORBIDDEN for discounts on your very own food forest with Food Forest Abundance.